Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Coming up, we'll speak to Guernsey Athletic star Cameron Chalmers ahead of his big weekend at the British Trials. Olympic spots up for grabs. We'll also hear from triathlete Josh Lewis, who's just secured the biggest result of his career, edging out a former Olympian to top the podium over half Ironman distance. Plus, we'll round up the best of the last week in island sport and look ahead to what else is coming up. I'm Tony Kerr and with me to do all that is Rob Batiste. How do? Jamie. Ingrill Hello. And Gareth the Prevost. Hiya, Tony. Good to see you, chaps. Uh, let's start with our moments of the week. Uh, Gareth, let's come to you first. What's caught your eye this week? Well, the rain, funny enough. <laughs> Although um, it, it wasn't because it cooled things off, but it made um, Saturday's cricket rather um, dramatic. In the, everyone knew that there was going to be a, um, quite a deluge sort of just around the corner. And um, it, it sort of plays into one side's hands and not the other. I mean, Griffins, if they'd have avoided defeat on Saturday, they would have been crowned champions. Uh, they won the toss and they knew the rain was coming, so they bowled first, which was the right thing to do. Um, restricted Kobo to 134, which they'd chased most of the time in their sleep. And then, of course, the rain came in their, in their innings. And, and to be honest, they made a, quite a hash of it. And it turned into a very exciting game at the end when they got bowled out for 110. Yeah, it keeps things interesting going into the, the final weekend of the weekend championship. Yeah, it's, uh, let's, I'm sort of hoping we don't have to turn to computers to work out the DLS method again next week. But um, it certainly makes it um, quite interesting. It's, it's a great way of sort of showing uh, how a game's going, actually. Because, I mean, Griffins could have cruised that. I mean, they only... When they weren't um, losing wickets at the start of their innings, they needed to be about six runs off ten overs or something ridiculous. But as soon as you start losing wickets, everything changes. And uh, yeah, Griffins just didn't quite um, get the nuances of the of the system. Um, it doesn't quite work in in favour of their side because they actually have sort of decent strength and depth in their batting. Um, and they sort of their batsmen at six, seven, and eight are as good as their as a, their three, four, and five sort of thing. But that doesn't really come into into the equation in DLS. And um, it, it turned into um, <laughs> quite, a, quite a dramatic ending for them when they just lost late wickets trying to chase the runs. Yeah, it's been quite an interesting cricket season so far. We've had the full spectrum of, of stuff, really, from some outstanding performances to some quite comedic moments. It sounds like there were some wickets that you sort of could scarcely be believed. <laughs> um, to be honest, it was... I don't want to decry the bowling, um, but there were some awful balls that were getting wickets and it just, it just turned almost comical towards the end of the way batsmen were finding ways of getting out. Um, to be fair to Griffins, they've been the best side in the weekend championship. I think they'll go on and win it. Uh, they'd won their first four games. They should have won their fifth and um, I think they'll go and uh, win this weekend when they, when they really have to. I think it was just a blip for them. Um, the, the circumstances probably played into the other people's hands, but... Uh, also fair play to OEA to, for making it um, into a two-horse race going into the last weekend of the season and of course um, that man Matt Stokes scores yet another hundred um, the bloke is just pure class and you never know with a guy like him in their side that they'll fancy their chances of beating Kobe this weekend so Griffins will probably have to win um, their final game to make sure they finish out on top yeah he's a sort of permanent fixture at the the sharp end of the run scoring at the moment Rob can you remember Someone, uh, yeah, just reeling off century no. off century like this. <laughs> no, quite, quite clearly, no. I mean, there's been some fine runs of um, scoring feats in the, in the past, but nothing like this. I mean, incredible. Um, two centuries, a double century, and then up was a half century as well. Incredible, incredible performance. And I'm not surprised though, because he's a class player and the best one, best local players I've ever seen. Quite frankly, terrific player. And I think you'll get better. 
Jamie, your moment of the week? So yes, for me, it was down at Foots Lane. Uh, Guernsey Athletics Club staged their inaugural night of the 5,000 metre races. It was a night of four different races, mixed abilities. But for me, I think the A race had to be the clincher. It was the culmination of the nights. Um, Will Bodkin produced an incredible run of 14.49. That is the third fastest time we've ever seen on Guernsey soil. But just the way it was delivered, it was within a really good race. He had Richard Friedrich, Richard Friedrich for contention, who is, he's the previous Munich Marathon winner, and he's coming on 40 now, but uh, some years ago he did 14.10 for the distance, sub 14.10, so obviously really good opposition still. Even without Bodders, it would have been probably the best 5k race we've seen in years anyway, with Friedrich finishing in sub 15.15, and Priest, James Priest doing sub-15.30. Yeah, fantastic. And just set the scene for us, because it is all about the, the kind of atmosphere of the evening and uh, with music and everything. Yeah, um, we had a bar by the side, which was a nice touch. Um, we had a van serving burgers, etc. <laughs> it, so- it sounds absolutely <laughs> riveting, Jamie. <laughs> I must get down there, quick. Wait, no, can I, I start A bar Wait, and no. a burger van. Athletics no. might be the sport oh, you- for me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think well, okay, what really made the scene was the music. We had Bat Dan, as we call him, Dan Hunter. Um, he put together an amazing playlist of tunes. Uh, huge kudos to him. Uh, there was a bit of heavy metal on there, which it didn't always fall in the right place. I've, <laughs> I think for the last kilometre of Will Bodkin's race, you really wanted that. <laughs> but <laughs> no, ultimately, yeah, it just really added to the atmosphere. What's, yeah. go, what's going on with Guernsey Sport? The, 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 the previous night, the KG5, a blooming fine cricket match was ruined by rave music bombing out of the terrace with some party going on. I'll tell you what. I think the outfielders were quite enjoying that. Yeah. I went as far away as I could, I must admit. <laughs> To be, to be serious, I mean, that's a hell of a race by, um, performance by Will Bodkin. I noticed from the photographs, he, I've never seen him looking so slim He's, since he was about 11 years old when he was showing himself to be a great colt at the time. And clearly he's got a bit between his teeth in terms of um, preparation and looking after himself because he really does look slim and, and in great form. It's good to see because I know he's worked at it so hard over the years and... Um, it's good to get him, see him get some just reward, and I hope he keeps his form going until we get an Ireland Games where he can perhaps then really challenge for a medal. Yeah, it could be something to, to see. Um, yeah, Rob, what's caught your eye? A few things. Um, cricket performances, cricket lack of safety, I think, um, and some bowls. Um, on the cricket performances, I think um, I was really <laughs> taken by a, a, quite a terrific game played last week in the rain. Wanderers Rovers and Irregulars had a miserable evening at the KG5 where Duckworth Lewis came into the reckoning for the first time in an evening game. And um, I, I think for the, given the conditions, I thought both teams put in a great performance and there was some good play. Um, but having seen the game also with Kobo playing Griffins last week, uh, sorry, against Independence, where I thought the running by, between the wickets between Matt Stokes and Chris Peatfield was absolutely exceptional. Um, I must say I'm getting a bit concerned about the um, what's going on on the mid-wicket boundary and I'm very concerned and I don't think I'm the alone really about um, potential for somebody um, getting really hurt along that boundary because 
the ball is being hit very, very hard on a quite regular basis these days, that way towards the car park. And we had an instance couple of, you know, where a mother was quickly running and grabbing a child out the way. Um, there's quite a few seats along there, which are, um, which are well-frequented, which is it's great to see, but I don't think some of those people really realise the danger they put themselves under. And, um, and I think something should be done before somebody does get hurt because, you know, as I say... I would not want to have see a, any child or any any other person just hit by a, a ball coming in when they're not really paying too much attention. And I'm afraid one of these days it's going to happen. What's the solution? Well, two two things I think immediately come to mind. Or three, you could is first of all, and the most expensive one would be probably to move the um, the the track, the hard the weather track, probably 10, 15 yards to the west. That wouldn't. That probably cost a lot of money, and, <laughs> and I'm not sure the grounds would be yeah, too keen on that one. Yeah, yeah, but that that would take that would that would that would improve things. One thing would be to um, put some sort of netting in front of that, those those benches, those concrete benches along there, um, for that stretch um, where the ball can then just hit it and drop down very quickly. Um, I don't think it's too bad to be honest to be able to to to, to watch through those sort of that sort of netting. Or the third thing is move the benches and discourage people from actually sitting there and get them moving into more safer areas. But there's a lot of people, I mean, that um, last week when Ravenscroft Independence were playing Cobo, um, there were a lot of people around that terrace area paying no attention at all to what the cricket, the cricket, just having a great time. But that ball is being belted very, very hard on a regular basis by some of our top batsmen. And I really do fear that somebody's going to get hurt soon. Well, let's hope not. And uh, yeah, we'll see uh, if anything can be done to, to maybe mitigate that. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, don't I mean, GCB, f- f- fair play to them. They they realised the dangers last season with the ball going into the onto the um, 3G football pitch and they put up extra netting. And um, that's largely done the trick. But I think they I just, you know, as I say, that ball is being hit, cracked very hard on a regular basis That in that area of the car park. And I think... Better be safe than sorry. Thanks, Rob. One other person we've got to mention, I think, in terms of our, our moments of the week, our picks of the week, is Josh Lewis, um, the Guernsey triathlete, fresh from securing what he described as the biggest result of his career. Jamie, just give us a quick uh, overview of, of how he got on there. So, yeah, he was competing at the Outlaw Half Nottingham. It was his first ever half Ironman, which for those unfamiliar is a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile cycle and half marathon run to finish. Uh, quite grueling, obviously, very long duration. It took Josh nearly four hours, which is actually a quality time for that sort of distance. But um, a big point of interest was the guy who finished third. It was experienced Great Britain representative Tim Don. He has actually competed at the Olympics three times. He's also a world champion from the past, having won in Lausanne, Switzerland, 2006. But obviously, topping the podium from someone of that calibre, even though he's now 43 or so, is still, obviously, it must be an amazing triumph. Yeah, pretty good going from Josh. Um, yeah, in a big event as well. And I, I spoke to him a short time ago and just asked him to, to put this result into perspective for us. Yeah, I think it is probably the biggest win I've had in triathlon so far, just because, I mean, the past few races haven't been going exactly to plan, but then also the calibre of athletes that were there this weekend, and obviously the biggest race that I've ever done, 
Um, it was really satisfying to be able to put to use all the training that I've done over the past 18, 20 months plus, like maybe over the past few years. So I, I really think that that was a good representation of exactly where I'm at fitness wise. Yeah, fantastic. Is it is it the kind of result that you, you've sort of been waiting for really? Yeah, definitely. Um, just to be able to put myself up there, like on the podium even is at this caliber of event is exactly what I've been trying to do. And I think that that alongside doing something in a bit more of the shorter stuff as well is definitely my targets for the, the foreseeable. Yeah, and you talk about the calibre of the event. Um, there's some pretty um, experienced and successful athletes that you shared the podium with. Um, ju- just for people who don't know about triathlon, uh, set the scene about who you were up against and, and how much it means to to kind of edge them out in a race like this. Yeah, no, so... Uh, I guess the most reputable uh, athlete that was on the podium was Tim Don, and he was uh, a world champion and also held the Ironman world record back in 2016. So a relatively high caliber of field, um, but also some really strong uh, elite triathletes as well. Andy Holstfull Turner also uh, podiumed and had a fantastic race. So yeah. Just- to be able to be up there with them was like very very satisfying and this was a half iron man distance wasn't it succeeding at this kind of over this kind of distance does that alter your thinking in terms of where you think you're sort of best suited in the in, in this kind of in, endurance game yes and no so i i think that my training is obviously all geared towards the shorter distance stuff but I've also put in a lot of volume over the past few years. So I don't think that the training for Sprint Olympic and 70.3 distances are too dissimilar. So yes, I do think that I will want to go long course at some point. But at the moment, my focus is on short course and trying to achieve that Commonwealth Games criteria and go to the Commonwealth Games next year. That's like priority number one. And then I think after that, I'll me divert my attention a little bit into the <clears throat> into the draft legal uh, non-drafting uh, scene and focus on maybe the Guernsey Island Games and then going long course for 70.3 and maybe even an Ironman. You were saying before, you know, there was you had something of a sort of blow up uh, last week in the Dorney Triathlon. Um, just talk us through what, what your kind of mindset was going to this then. Was there a sort of lingering sense of, you know, you know what am I going to be putting my body through here? Is this going to happen again? Yeah, yeah. So I think in Eton, I was malnourished in terms of I just didn't fuel enough on the bike. So when I got onto the run because of the heat, I was dehydrated, the body shut down, and I got a load of cramp in my legs. And it was basically just a death march for 15k (laughs) on the run. So by the end of the run, I was cramping everywhere. Uh, I really, really struggled for the next few days to recover from that. So by Thursday, I was still doubting whether or not I should actually do this race just because the body was still not in a good way. And I was like, okay, I'll give it one more day and see if the legs come round. So Friday came round. I was like, okay, I think that it's going to be all right. And then Saturday, uh, the legs felt a lot better, but still not 100%. But I thought, okay, I could still put in a good shift um, with the legs being like they are. And then I was a bit tentative when it came to the run on Sunday just because of what had happened in Eton, like you say. 
And I just made sure I had as much to eat and drink and as, as I possibly could through each aid station. I didn't want the same thing to happen again. And yeah, I was just really vigilant with how I fueled myself, I think. Yeah, was there a moment though when, you know, you, you feel like things are going really well, you're leading the race. Um, I presume that you know, everything feels kind of in some kind of um, uh, equilibrium, if you like. That, that must be a really nice feeling. Yeah, it is such a nice feeling. I think that it's such a different event to something like a sprint or an Olympic distance, which is far more intense. This was such a different experience for me in terms of that intensity, because aerobically, so just breathing wise, it was actually quite steady and easy, whereas the body was aching. So it was a really weird sensation because ordinarily it's both of them um, when you're going for a shorter distance. So actually like mentally and breathing wise I was very yeah like you say kind of in that equilibrium very happy but the body I just had to manage a lot because I felt as though it could shut down like it did in Eton the week before at any point so I just had to balance that yeah when you sort of think back at, at the end of the race uh, you know watching some of your YouTube videos you know you're sort of doing your kind of chats to camera in the car back from your long drives to these <laughs> kind of events you know um must be extremely satisfying then to be in the same conversation as someone like Tim Don. And um, does that now, when you go to the next event and future events, um, do you think people, you know, the sort of rivals, potential competitors start to look at you slightly differently? Yeah. And I think that could be seen as a good and bad thing. Uh, I think that I've had a few good swims now. So Eton, I led out the swim uh, by a fair distance. And then this swim, I had the fastest split as well. So hopefully or not hopefully I don't know but people will start recognizing me as a little bit of a better swimmer hopefully and that could be that could go for and against you like I said in terms of people might give you space on the start line and then jump on your feet and then you're not in a fight on a mass start or everyone could be fighting for your hip and really maul you (laughs) to the first boy because they know that well or they think that you might be able to drag them up to the front so yeah, I mean, they might start looking at me slightly differently. I don't know, maybe, but then I'm still unproven in the draft legal scene. So there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I need to go back down to the to the sprint and Olympic distances and prove myself there. That's the next step. Yeah, you mentioned Island Games, Commonwealth Games. What are the, the kind of absolute targets at the forefront of your mind now? So first of all, I need to qualify for the Commonwealth Games. That is like priority number one. And then if and when I do that, I'll be focusing solely on being able to produce a solid performance at the Commonwealth Games and hopefully be towards the sharp end. I think I'm starting to get that robustness, that conditioning and that speed that is able to do that. But I think I have a long way to go in terms of race experience in that draft legal setting, um, which I'm trying to acquire at the moment, just racing as much as possible, putting down what I know I'm capable of uh, in a race setting. Yeah, and I mentioned the the YouTube stuff before. You've got you've got a channel. You, you know, you talk about your training, your competition. You also coach. Clearly, you're kind of fully immersed in this triathlon world. Do you get a lot of satisfaction out of those aspects of things of of of, of learning about the craft and and passing it on to others as well? Yeah, uh, like it, it's such a passion, and I think that if you're not passionate about it all, then you can't do it. Um, you just can't put in the hours that's necessary to be at the top or 
striving towards the top so yeah i mean the youtube channel i get a lot of joy out of doing it because it's a bit of a reflection for myself as well as allowing other people to kind of get on board with the journey because at the end of the day i am coming from somewhere that isn't necessarily performing to my full ability and i'm basically learning to be able to do that and i think like especially over the past couple of months it's shown within the YouTube channel, how I've progressed and what I've learned from each race going forward. So hopefully that helps other people and other people might pick up little tips that I've learned the hard way. And the same thing with the coaching, to be quite frank, I think that it's a massive passion to be able to help others and see what, or see and apply what we do day in, day out to other people's lives and help them achieve their goals. Like, yeah, I think that Doing all of that stuff just keeps me on the straight and narrow and really allows me to apply my passion and help others do what they want to do. Yeah, fantastic. And, and just finally, obviously, um, you know, getting back and forth to the island and, uh, you know, it's a bit, tr- bit tricky to say the least at the moment. There is that separation. But I, I know, you you know, you coach um, some of the Guernsey athletes. How close and high are you keeping on how things are going in Guernsey this summer? Oh, very close. <laughs> we, we, co- we coach a fair few athletes over there now and um i i make sure that i keep on top of all the results i even hassle emily quite a fair, uh, quite often just to be like where's the results come on like, get, <laughs> get on top of it and um yeah i i make sure that i i keep tabs on everything that's going on as much as i can at least i mean i am relatively busy but at the same time it's part of my job uh, to do with entire and also i i am just generally interested so i try and keep not only tabs on what's happening with our coached athletes, but also what's going on in the swim, bike, run kind of sphere um, for everyone. So, yeah. Any ones to watch for the summer ahead as things progress? Yeah, so I I think there's quite a few uh, good people coming through for sure. Um, Obviously, we've got uh, our top three uh, guys, three or four guys that are doing really well. Um, They're podiuming and and, uh, putting forward some really good efforts. Uh, with Chris, Dave, and Thierry, so I think they're they're coming on great. But then, to be to be quite honest, I think everyone uh, is doing really really well uh, on the programs. Um, Megan just put in a really good effort uh, in Leeds and uh, came fifth in her age group, I think it was. So yeah, she's doing really well. But then also we've got quite a few other girls that have only just started out, and I think that they're they're going to really get their teeth stuck into it, and they'll they'll be probably the next. Uh, the next people coming through for maybe island games in a couple of years time welcome back to the guernsey press sport podcast triathlete josh lewis there uh, congratulations to him on that result and it's a big weekend for another couple of guernsey athletes who have a chance to state their claim for places at the very top table of global sport of course talking about the olympics and the charmers brothers all to play for uh, this weekend they head to the british athletics championships in manchester looking to book uh, seats on the plane to tokyo uh, certainly for Allah, the younger of the two brothers uh, who's just got his first gbc senior call-up. Um, it's very much a, a moonshot to get there for this Olympics, but I'm sure he'll be giving his all uh, to be in the mix. Of course, the British champion over 400 metres hurdles from last season, so plenty to play for for him. Uh, for Cameron, the older of the brothers, something he's been working towards this uh, Tokyo goal, of course, delayed from last year. is very much a part of the GB senior athletics setup. Uh, Jamie, you've been following well, both their progress uh, for some time now, of course, but for Cameron, um, just talk us through his season and how he's looking heading into these championships.
championships. Well, he's looking very good at the moment. Um, so we got to witness at the start of his individual season, he set a new all-commerce record at Foots Lane for the 400 metres. It's sub 46, quite impressive to see locally, um, especially as he had not competed for the entirety of the 2020 season. Since then, he's been off to European team championships, placed second in effectively the top tier of a multi-tier system against great athletes from all over Europe. So again, really promising. And most recently, he's been competing at the British Miners Club meet in Watford, where he took the win against some of the guys who will be lining up for the British final in a couple of days' time. Yeah, I mean, it was so exciting to see him start potentially that road to Tokyo uh, this summer uh, in Guernsey a few weeks ago uh, in the sunshine and um, and looking very good then in, as you say, his first race in quite some time. This is the one, of course, that he's been building up to. And we spoke to him a little earlier on and began by asking him just how he's feeling going into this weekend. It's come around quickly. Um, you know, you work hard all year and um, for the many years leading up to this. And, you know, here we are sort of a few days out from it now. So, um, you know, I feel like I'm in a good place. I'm healthy and, um, you know, don't have any injuries or anything like that. So, you know, just need that to continue for the next three or four days, um, ideally. And um, you know, put some really good performances in the weekend because um, it's, you know, it kind of largely comes down to this, um, this weekend's racing um, as to whether I'll be selected or not. So, yeah, just obviously love to perform well and get a phone call the following week i do know comparatively recently you competed at a high quality bmc meet um you actually had quite a few of the opponents you might be looking to face at this standard of competition it's kind of a british championships field obviously you won that yeah what does that do for your confidence yeah, it's definitely a good um, sort of marker, sort of a few weeks out, like you say, racing the majority of the guys that I'm going to have to race this weekend. You know, it puts me in a sort of really good position, sort of, you know, knowing that that's where I'm at uh, in comparison to those guys. Um, you know, obviously things can change in a couple of weeks and there's going to be a few more guys that come into that mix. Um, but yeah, you, you know, to take the win is, um, you know, really positive and reassuring as to where I'm at. And, uh, you know, I just hope that it's a similar outcome, um, you know, this weekend yeah and since you had that uh, sort of first run out back at Foots Lane um, at the start of May you, you, yeah, you've been able to get in some some pretty decent racing and and I guess kind of yeah fine-tune that that sort of race day mentality and, and kind of get back used to to this level yeah it's something you can't quite fully replicate in training um, which is why you know it is important to get some races in uh, and one of the big reasons as to why I raced in Guernsey um, you know i I think that was a fantastic start um, and, you know, then it sort of allowed me to just find my feet as to getting back into comp competition after not really competing, um, you know, for a year and a half. Um, you know, it was, it was good to get some international sort of um, experience in as well, flying out to Poland and racing the individual and the relay on back-to-back -back days um, for Great Britain, you know, against some of the best in Europe. So that was um, sort of invaluable, especially going towards the trials, which is, you know, obviously two races in two days and it'll be similar at the Olympics. So, um, yeah, it's all it's been important um, and I think sort of puts me in good stead uh, for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I haven't had much luck with conditions it haven't really had one of those sort of 30 degree days with no winds uh you know on a, on a really fast track um but i think at this stage now it's not really about that it's about um you know where i come position wise on the weekend so that's sort of just that's my main focus just for those who may be unfamiliar is it possible if you can speak us through the qualifying process basically what would actually be involved to get you on the plane to tokyo yeah okay so individually um i'd have to run 
44-9 or quicker and come in the top two to guarantee um, a spot on the plane, um, which is, you know, for anyone who knows anything about 400 meter times is ridiculously quick. And I, I think only a handful of people have run that time in the world this year. Um, I don't know if... I don't think anyone in Europe has even broken 45 seconds to just to put it into context for you. So um, that's pretty unlikely. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, my main focus really is getting in that relay team. Um, they're they're going to be taking a mixed relay team and fingers crossed a men's four by four relay team. Um, so yeah, I think it's like I say, it's all about just running as fast as I can um, and basically finishing as high up the field as I can you know to sort of put me in the best position for sort of you know being one of the first names on the team sheet um you know as long as they take relay teams yeah and obviously in the races so far um this season you've placed really well um do do you feel like you kind of you're sort of you've got that slight reputation as being a bit of a finisher in the uh, the you know when you're in the mix you can really hang on and and, you know place well yeah i think if i look at my results i think i've the sort of the worst i've done is come second and that was to um you know in an international field sort of thing and um like you say it's um it's not always it's not always about the fast times kind of thing like you need some luck with the weather and the conditions and the track for that but in terms of you know just doing what you can control um yeah i seem to do pretty well when it comes to sort of head to head and and racing people so yeah i'm hoping that um it's no different this weekend and you know that's what it comes down to it is a race after all um you know the time is just the sort of um yeah the byproduct of how well you put a race together so uh, and, and and as i say it can be influenced by the weather so i'm not really running for a time this weekend it is it's about beating people and um i've definitely sort of been doing a good job of that so far this season yeah fantastic and obviously you head up to manchester uh with your brother ala who goes there as the british champion is he going to be sort of swaggering into the uh, to the stadium with the with all the confidence in the world you know what he's like um <laughs> yeah he, yeah i'm sure he will be i think he's got every reason to feel confident uh, his training's been going well um i think sort of similarly he hasn't quite had one of those sort of um you know amazing days with amazing conditions to sort of drop a fast time um but he's been there or thereabouts and um you know i think especially this year with traveling overseas to compete is not as sort of seamless and easy as it has been in years gone by with all this the testing and you know the stuff beforehand and then the isolation on the return and you know the sort of follow-up tests and you know it's just a lot more to consider um and i think those sort of things do add up and and can take they take their toll um you know on performances that obviously come down to hundreds of a second so i think it's been nice to sort of be in one place for a couple of weeks and be sort of competing on home soil um you know with friends and family around us um you know because we've got a few people coming up on the weekend so yeah i think that'll that'll be nice and you know hopefully that can um you know help with performing as best we can yeah brilliant and yeah you mentioned friends and family i mean obviously um you know you and ala have uh, kind of relied on each other and, and uh, you know helped each other out so much over the last um sort of year and a bit in terms of training you know anyone who's been down at foot's lane at any point has probably seen you guys 
kind of busting a gut round there. But when it comes to actual kind of race day, how much do you guys lean on each other in the build up and, and, and you know, in terms of watching each other race or do you kind of just go about your own business? Uh, I think I think we do go about our own business. Um, you were on slightly different schedules and I think we're both sort of confident enough individuals that, you know, we sort of focus on our own job at hand. Um, I definitely obviously want to see his races, whether that's in the stadium or on the TV or, you know, watching it on my phone or, you know, wherever. I'll definitely be <laughs> keeping a close eye out and I'm sure he'll be doing the same. Um, but yeah, we definitely let each other just get on with it. Um, you know, we both know what we're doing and have, have done this enough times to, you know, know what's involved and what we have to do. So I think it's just about um, finding, yeah, what's the best preparation for you. And I'm sure, you know, it's, it's different for everyone, isn't it? I'm sure we sort of differ slightly with, um, you know, how we like things and what we want to be doing sort of in the lead up to it. But um, I think we're both probably pretty close to um, knowing what's optimum for, for us and, and yeah, doing, doing the job. Obviously, you have mentioned that you'll have a few other guys in the equation who didn't compete recently at the BMC meet. Uh, Matt Hudson-Smith being one of them. I suppose by form... Would you think it'd be fair to consider him the favourite? Yeah, I think he's got to be the favourite. He's won it every year for as long as I can remember. Um, but he usually wins it in sort of 44 high, 45 low. Um, and I just don't think that's going to be the case this year. Um, you know, I might be I might be wrong. Um, but if you sort of look at his previous results sort of this season, really he's been sort of 45 mids to 45 highs. Um, so I think he's, he's going to be... Um, you know, he's probably going to be as close um, or as, you know, as beatable as he ever has been in recent years. Because I think in previous trials gone by, he's kind of been untouchable in some respects. Um, whereas I think it will be a much closer race this year. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a favourite, which is no bad thing um, uh, for me. But I'll, I'll definitely be running to win and, you know, just run as fast as I can and, and we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, I definitely believe on my day that I could I could win the race. Um, you know, I think you have to. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so overall, obviously good to hear you're sort of confident of challenging him. Um, even if you don't beat him, would you say you think you're in good stead to get that second place? Yeah, I think I am. Um, I think probably I'd be considered the favourite for second place. <laughs> um, you know, I think if it went to sort of form book, um, there's a couple of other guys who have run sort of 45 uh, just under 46 seconds into the 45 highs for the first time um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and there's a couple of guys knocking around the 46 low um, I think it will be a really close race quite across the board um, you know I think it'll be competitive in that sense so yeah it's one of those where you know just a few tenths either side you could you know you could be coming first or second or <laughs> sixth or seventh um, potentially you know we'll see you never know um, but yeah it's a competitive line up and field you saw that race in Watford it wasn't um you know it wasn't clear cut it was quite a um you know scrap on the line sort of thereabouts so yeah um hopefully it's not this weekend but um you know that's what happens and uh yeah hopefully I'm at I'm at the front of that you have spoken about a bit about what you're sort of expecting at the Olympics and you were mentioning the mixed relay seeing how you performed in the men's relays I say it's probably fair to say you and good a good position to get a spot on that team um what sort of spectacle do you expect by just being in that for the first time ever and making a little bit of history maybe 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it would be fantastic. I'd love the opportunity to obviously go to an Olympics um, and to run, you know, and be in the strike four. Um, so, yeah, I think I've put myself in a good position over the last couple of years and this season so far, um, you know, to give myself a, a good chance of, of doing that. Um, so, yeah, obviously it will come down to this weekend. But, yeah, if, if all being well, um, yeah, it would be fantastic. And I think, um, yeah, as a, quite a few of the girls are running very well. Um so, you know, it's definitely an opportunity there to make a final and then really try and push for a medal, um, you know, sort of realistically out of, yeah, sort of out of that and the men's relay is probably a higher chance of, um, you know, a medal in the mixed relay uh, as it stands at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, but, I'd, yeah, I'd absolutely love to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, I think people do enjoy um, the relay events and, you know, it's sort of, being part of a team and things like that especially sort of you know um with it being two two guys and two girls um you know i think it'll be yeah it's, it's a good watch because not every team always runs the sort of the same order so you can have you know it can be quite a, an interesting race to watch as it as it pans out yeah brilliant cheers cam thanks for your time best of luck i'm I'm sure there'll be uh, lots of people uh, here in guernsey watching uh, watching on this weekend and, and wishing you and Alec all the best so uh, yeah go well yeah i'll do my best cheers tony cheers jamie Cameron Chalmers speaking to us there. Best of luck to him. And Allah, uh, of course, this weekend, all eyes uh, will be on those British trials for sure. Uh, let's have a look at what else is coming up. Uh, Gareth, what are you going to be at? Well, it is the decisive weekend of the GCA um, weekend championship. So Griffins are playing Wanderers, Wanderers Irregulars and a victory for Griffins will seal the title. If they should lose, the OEA side can overtake them if they beat Kobo and they do enough for their net run rate to improve. Um, the way it works, sort of, it will be pretty tight if those results go sort of the way they need them to. So, um, I think it'll be a case of um, keeping one eye on the KG5 strip and one on the on my iPad to see what's going on at the college field. And hopefully, they'll um, keep it up to date. If they've doing, been doing very well so far this season, it's great to be able to sort of keep an eye on two games at one place. Yeah, live scoring. It's uh, yeah, all the rage, all the rage. Uh, Rob, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing a bit of that cricket myself on the weekend, but also um, hopefully some sun shining on the Valret Bowls green where I'm going to go along and watch a bit of Travers Pears Bowls, Island Championship Bowls, um, having seen some open singles bowls at Delancey Park last last Saturday morning and seen a big shock when Martin De Cartre, who, who won the Newcomer of the Year award last year, actually toppled um, Matt LeBurr which was a big surprise um, last Saturday. Um, it looked like early on that Matt LeBeau was going to absolutely walk away with it, raced into a 14-4 lead, first to 21. But fair play to Martin, who, you know, stuck in there and wasn't perturbed at all and came back bit by bit, level at 17-all, and then nicked it at the end, 22-20, I think it seemed to remember. So it's good to see a bit of bowls um, going. They've got nothing... Unfortunately, um, like some other, many other sports to look forward to in terms of British Championships or Channel Island stuff this year. So it's purely domestic, but um, it's good to see the bet. You know, I believe there's some numbers across all the clubs that are increasing this year. There's been a good, some good recruitment work going on. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing a bit of bowls. Yeah, fantastic. And Jamie, you're off to Ham? I'm not actually uh, heading over. No, you didn't get the call <laughs> But we do have a packed three-day weekend for our domestic rowers as the Sark to Jersey build-up gathers pace. Um, provided weather is good, which at the moment it's <laughs> touch and go. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, but it, it looks like it might improve. But yes, um, 
it's a rare event that the Guernsey Rowing Club actually runs home weekends in full, but provided we do get, <laughs> provided the stars do align, it'll be three days of racing. It starts with a race to Herm, which is a handicap race. Then we've got two races around Herm. It's just a nice occasion for domestic, for local rowers. Yeah, brilliant. You mentioned the start to Jersey. What's the latest on that? Does it look like it's going ahead? It is going ahead. Um, I'm actually just off the phone to Sam Zakoka, the Guernsey Rowing Club captain, and the latest development is there will be landing restrictions. In itself, maybe not the worst thing, but ultimately we need to see how that affects the turnout of the race. Uh, Sam didn't post, paint the most positive picture there, but hopefully we can still get a few interested. And it may also affect the Pedvin Trophy awarded to the leading team, if you'd like. Could be slightly hampered event when it does go ahead. Unfortunately, that is looking to be the case, but it could surprise us. We'll have to wait and see. It's now only two weeks away or so. Sorry, I was going to add the one thing on the on the golf um, perspective. Um, I shouldn't probably admit this on record, but um, we might be trying to fix the um, the scratch league draw on Monday in Monday's game between the Royal Guernsey and Lancrest because we want a, a playoff between Daniel Griggs and Jamie Blondell, who finished tied after the big 72 holer uh, last weekend, and Daniel Griggs won on six hole countback, which over 72 holes is um, <laughs> is very tight. Um, and he he did actually say in his um, in his speech afterwards that he he was going to challenge Jamie to a putting contest on the green outside the um, Royal Guernsey Clubhouse, but then he realised he was bound to lose that one because Jamie's probably the best putter. So I suggested to him, wouldn't it be great if um, you played each other in the in the scratch league in the singles? And he went, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so we might try and uh, fiddle that one on Monday night to see if we can get that. But um, also I want to just ahead of time wish uh, Daniel Griggs the best of luck when he goes away for the British senior open qualifying which is a great thing for sort of someone over here to do um, I know a couple of the other sort of guys who are now over 50 over here have looked into the possibility obviously this year with um, the Covid restrictions what have you it hasn't really been possible for most of them uh, Griggsy um, is able to go over for a few weeks and sort of prepare over there and what have you but just to tee up against some of the guys he'll be up against in the qualifier would be great but if you get through that and you're in the same field as the likes of Bernard Langer and even Phil Mickelson who's entitled to play it now he's over 50 it's a it's just a great thing to be able to do and um, I wish him all the best he's been certainly striking the ball really well recently yeah incredible I mean how confident is he about uh, yeah making the cut he's um he, he's a very um realistic bloke he's a, he's a lovely bloke uh, Griggsy and um, he did sort of have the laugh he, he is capable of shooting 66 67 as he said to me he goes he's also capable of shooting an 80 but on his day you never know I mean there's sort of plenty of spaces to get into the British Senior Open so um, there's four different qualifying events he'll be going to one of the ones that's um, in Surrey he's not quite sure which uh, court, uh, club he'll be visiting yet but I think it's it's literally done on an 18-hole qualifier. So if he has one good round that day and he'll be fully prepared for it, you never know. He could get into into the main tournament in Sunning, at Sunningdale later in the month. Oh, it'd be great to see. Wish him all the best. Well, thanks very much, guys. Do give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at GSY Press Sport. And of course, pick up a paper for all the latest across Ireland sport uh, and across the weekend. Uh, yeah, take care for now. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.